This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by Gates Wildlife Control and the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of November 24th, 2014, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 207 of Defender Radio. The weather last week across most of Canada sure was frightful. Snow, sleet, and icy winds let us know that winter had officially arrived. Even in Vancouver, where most of the AFA team is likely lounging about in swimwear, temperatures took a dip. Here in southern Ontario, we received several inches of snow and a whistling wind for days on end. But while we were all huddled up in warm layers and heated homes, our fur-bearing friends weathered the storm without assistance. And that's what we're focusing on this week. Brad Gates of AAA Gates Wildlife Control will discuss the changing temperatures and how they influence the behavior of wildlife in urban areas and what that means for homeowners. Then we'll hear from Linda Baker of the Wildlife Rescue Association of British Columbia, who will let us know what to look for in birds and other animals who may be injured as winter progresses. Raccoons, chipmunks, squirrels, and other fur bears are looking for a warm place as winter falls. And our houses are ideal for that. As much as we love our furry friends, it's not always nice having them running amok in our attics or walls. Brad Gates, owner of AAA Gates Wildlife Control, has spent decades learning how wild animals get into homes and developed humane solutions to get them out. He joined us recently to reveal what we as homeowners need to know to keep our homes wildlife free this winter. It's November and it's it's starting to get pretty cold out at night uh, and people are going to be seeing animal behavior changing. What are some of the key behaviors they're going to be seeing change, and uh, what should they know about them? Number one is all the raccoons, um, and they're generally families of raccoons. It's a, it's a mother and her kids that have been potentially living under a deck, and a lot of homeowners aren't even aware that they're on their property because they stay under the deck and only come out at night. Um, those raccoons, as the temperatures drop, are going to want to find warmer quarters. And the way they do that is they'll climb up onto rooftops. Um, they're like many home inspectors. They'll, they'll scour over every piece of that roof to find the weakest link. And most often that might be a roof vent or it might be a shingle that has broken and the wood has rotted um, in a specific area of the house. And they'll begin to, to manipulate uh, that to get inside where it is nice and warm. They, they certainly benefit from the heat that we provide ourselves during the winter. Um, raccoons also will be trying to, to put on weight. Um, they're trying to build up their fat stores so they could make it through the winter, should the winter be similar to last year where the entire uh, ground was frozen and they, they couldn't access any food. So they, um, they tend to be moving around a lot more now. They may even be a little bolder um, at this time of the year because they want to get to to as much food as they can, and you may even hear them fighting outside, uh, which sometimes can uh, be quite alarming because they are quite vocal. They have uh, quite a number of um, vocalizations that they use that uh, can sound like a, a human screaming at times. But um, yeah, they'll be they'll be quite anxious to to more more than anything find a warm spot to uh, to hunker down during the coldest winter months. And is that similar for smaller mammals like squirrels and chipmunks? 
Um, yes, squirrels and chipmunks are, are also hoarding food. The the gray squirrel, or the black version of the gray squirrel, the eastern gray squirrel that we deal with, um, they don't store their food in attics. Um, they'll simply bury it in the ground. And the red squirrel, that uh, is a much smaller type squirrel, and we're seeing that move further into Toronto than we ever had before, they will store a lot of their food inside the attics of homes. So if they can find a nice walnut tree, they'll spend hours upon hours each day taking one walnut at a time into the, the attic space. And uh, renovators have, have found at times they open up a wall of a house literally to find thousands of these black walnuts pouring out of the uh, the wall space. Um, chipmunks as well, you know, they're, they're going to bird feeders and uh, filling their, their mouths up with seed and going back to their den site. They also are looking for den sites, and, and both raccoons and squirrels will create multiple den sites. They don't rely on just one. So even though you may have heard a raccoon break into your house and the noise went away, it just means that he doesn't consider your property or your attic his primary choice. He'll go and live somewhere else, but as soon as he might get evicted from there or he doesn't find it safe any longer, he'll be back. So if you had a problem and it went away, by all means, you want to uh, get somebody out to have a look and secure that point of entry so they don't come back in at another time. Something I've heard you speak about in the past is the uh, the do-it-yourselfers, the people who try and install their own grating or their own one-way doors. Um, and I know that can result in a lot of problems. And, and I'm not talking about people like me who, who aren't too sure which end of a screwdriver to hold, but the people who really are rather industrious. Uh, why is it important for them to contact a professional rather than try and handle these issues themselves? From a personal safety perspective, um, the use of a ladder to get up on a roof to deal with an entry hole should be thought to very carefully. Um, there have been studies to show that uh, the emergency rooms in Canada, the, the number one major injury, which can be life-threatening in, in most cases, is homeowners using a ladder once or twice a year, and they give it less respect than they would if they picked up a hammer. They realize the damage a hammer can do, but they don't realize the damage that a ladder can do. So you want to be comfortable on a ladder um, before you make that journey up it because it uh, to fall even 10 feet can be catastrophic um, to the human body. The other reason um, homeowners should not take on wildlife problems on their own is that they don't understand necessarily the habits and the behaviors of animals. Um, again, they could be up a ladder, a raccoon could come to the entry hole and startle them and, and they could fall from a height. Or they could simply go up on a roof and close up a point of entry with some screen. And in the case of a raccoon, they're likely to do that during the day and lock the animal inside the attic. And you're only going to have the animal uh, hopefully break out somewhere else and cause more damage. Worst case scenario, the animal will not get out and die in the attic. And then you have this horrendous smell filling up the, the home space where, again, then you have to hire somebody to come and, and get it out. So there's a number of reasons um, that you should hire professionals. Professionals are going to monitor the situation closely. Um, they've dealt with this problem in, in some cases thousands of times. So you're going to save yourself uh, you know, potential of injury and, 
and damage if you were to, to find a company that can do it properly. There are other things that people need to be made aware of, though, uh, and, and these are things that you're going to know about after your, your decades of experience. What are some of those issues that homeowners may not consider that could be very important? Once an animal has been removed from an attic, uh, there generally is a point of entry that has been uh, ripped open, shingles are missing, uh, the hole is exposed to the elements, and uh, and exposed to other animals getting in. So what the two things that need to be addressed is, one, the entry has to be secure to prevent any other animal from returning and attempting to get back in, um, basic animal proofing, of course. And the other is water will enter uh, the point of entry. It can find its way down the walls into the ceilings. And then you have the potential of mold growing in the house, which can, depending on the, the type of mold that uh, will start to grow, can be very serious um, to one's health if it's allowed to, um, to to find its way into areas that we cannot get at to clean up. And in some cases, drywall, large pieces of drywall need to be removed. And uh, people with hazmat suits have to come in and, and can be treated very similarly to uh, the removal of asbestos. So part of our job is also to put shingles over the point of entry in such a way that uh, will prevent any further water from getting into the house proper. And my final question for you, um, and this is one I know you've also spoken about at great lengths in the past, is how do people know that they're getting a truly humane and reputable operator to come into their homes to deal with uh, wildlife issues? It's always a good question. Um, years of experience, companies that are, are willing to invest in um, quality uh, vehicles, quality equipment, quality technicians, have liability insurance that they can prove to you that they have it. Um, generally, two million liabilities is sufficient. Companies that also invest in their employees by um, obtaining WSIB, Workers Safety Insurance Board Insurance, because if an employee was to get hurt on the job, then they would be covered. In cases where an employee or a company does not have WSIB insurance and were to get hurt on a job site, the homeowner can be sued by the individual or the company for damages that it occurred to that employee. So you want to protect yourself by looking at those factors and again uh, referrals from any wildlife uh, either animal welfare group wildlife rehabilitation um, center or animal services your municipal animal services would certainly be able to, to steer you in the right direction to make sure that you hire the right people to get in touch with brad or find out more about AAA gates wildlife control visit gateswildlifecontrol.com We'll be right back after these words from our sponsors. You're listening to Defender Radio. I am Brad Gates, owner of Gates Wildlife Control. Do you have raccoons or squirrels living in your attic? Did you know that the hole in your roof is letting water in? Your insulation is being ruined and they could be chewing on your electrical wiring? Protect your biggest investment. We will come to your house and provide you with a no-obligation free estimate. Please visit our website at gateswildlifecontrol.com or dial 
750-9453. Have you ever heard a coyote sing? Did you know that coyotes are also called North America song dogs? They communicate through unique howls, yips, and barks. At Coyote Watch Canada, we're committed to fostering peaceful coexistence for communities and their wildlife neighbors by building compassionate wildlife communities one community at a time. Please visit us at coyotewatchcanada.com for more information and tips about this amazing Keystone species. After a night out with your friends, there are always options for getting home safely. You could call your BFF, take a cab, or maybe you'll grab the last bus. Now there's a smartphone app to help you choose your ride. Find out more at arrivealive.org. The Christmas tree for the animals has long been a beacon of hope in times of darkness. By sending in your donation today, your very own light will be lit as a reminder of all the lives that were lost this year. And it will serve as a beacon of hope as we fight to protect fur-bearing animals for another year. Please donate today at www.furbearerdefenders.com. That's www.furbearerdefenders.com. This is Defender Radio. It may be staying lukewarm in British Columbia, but even in the warmer climates, winter results in a change of behavior for wild animals. We were recently joined by Linda Baker of the Wildlife Rescue Association of BC and talked about how the winter weather changes the behavior of some birds and other animals and what that means for rehabilitators. Now, Vancouver doesn't get the, the same lows as uh, other parts of Canada uh, does, but there are still snowy days and colder weather um, and the scarcity of resources. So what kind of animals are you going to be seeing uh, as this weather changes and as it gets cooler? Um, who are you going to be seeing coming in to your, uh, your rehab facility? Well, we have uh, migratory birds that spent the winter here because it is a little milder here than, you know, in Alaska. Um, so we do see them coming here after they migrate, being uh, exhausted and skinny and tired and uh, in need of uh, food uh, and shelter. Uh, so sometimes they need a little help with that. Um, and if it really starts to snow, then yeah, everybody has trouble finding enough food. And, um, uh, and some of them are, will not do as well as others. So. But do the types of injuries or illnesses that they deal with change as the, the seasons change? Um, yeah, like this time of year, um, when there's the sun's setting earlier and the, the, you know, when you're driving and the sun is setting and you find it difficult to see, um, that's the same with birds and they hit windows a lot. Um, so we get a lot of, like right now, we get a lot of owls and some songbirds that have hit windows. Uh, and uh, they have either a head trauma or an eye injury, so we see that a lot right now uh, and throughout the winter. Um, and, yeah, we do see a lot of uh, emaciated animals in the winter, for sure. When you get in uh, orphaned animals, and this, this is something I think a lot of people don't always appreciate, they, they require a lot of work on the part of rehabbers. Um, but when they're coming in and it's colder out and the food is less easily available, 
Is the treatment regimen different for an orphaned animal? Well, we don't see a lot of orphans in the winter because for birds, they are all grown up before the winter starts. Um, they're, you know, they, they only have babies in the summer and they should be all grown up by the time it's winter. Um, some of them, especially with migratory birds, if it's their first migration, then you can see that they have problems finding enough resources to make it through. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a totally different regime than uh, when they are babies in the summer and are growing up so fast that they need so much food all day long. Um, in the winter, they just need really specific um, nutrition, good nutritional food uh, to get them stronger again. And uh, what are some of the things people should know uh, this time of year when it comes to injuries, illnesses, and so on, if they see an animal? Uh, is it different than the normal message you would send out over summer? Well, in the summer, we focus on baby, baby birds uh, a lot. Um, that if you see a bird on the ground hopping around, looking okay, otherwise that you should leave it alone because it's a fledgling, not able to fly, fly yet. But if that happens this time of year, then there's probably something wrong. If you can approach a bird and it's not flying away, then uh, that's a problem. So this time of year, I would definitely pick it up and bring it to a rehabilitation center. And what other signs should people be looking for? Um, you know, what, how, how do you know if, say, uh, a bird is injured or if it's just being maybe a bit of a pain? Like, for instance, I, I live in a city center and there's pigeons around all year round. And yeah. if you approach them, there's a good chance that they're going to try and mug you. Um, yeah. So how do people maybe know the difference between a bird that is truly injured and one that's just, you know, maybe cold or waiting out yeah. a storm or something like that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it can be difficult because they do sit quiet, fluffed up to preserve energy. Uh, and especially with pigeons, they're so used to people and they come up to people for food. Um, if they don't wake up or fly away, if you come really close, especially birds other than pigeons, and then that's something to be concerned about. And of course, if you see anything obvious, like a drooping wing or limping or blood, uh, then that's definitely an injury. All right. And rehab facilities are, uh, are run almost entirely on donations and sponsorships and things like that. And we always encourage people to find out who their local rehab facility is and get involved somehow. Uh, in, in terms of donations of items and goods, what do rehab facilities need in the winter as opposed to the summer? Are there any particular items that people should be considering to donate? Um, yeah, for, I, I know that people like to donate items, um, but in the winter we need such spe specific things like the um, if we have an emaciated bird coming in from migration, we uh, tube feed them a solution that's really specific, um, developed for these types of birds that we need to buy. Um, and you can't buy that in the store. <laughs> uh, and it's really com complicated to tell you where to get it. So um, money would be in the winter more useful um, so we can buy our specific things. We do have a wish list of items on our website. Um, you know, we will always take in um, frozen fish or um, laundry soap but um 
yeah, in the winter, our needs are really specific, and we buy medications uh, that you just can't can't buy for us. So uh, money in the winter would be preferable. Um, and we always are looking for more volunteers, especially to do driving of animals to take them to our facility or help us on the helpline on the phone. To find out more about the Wildlife Rescue Association of BC, visit wildliferescue.ca. That's the show for this week, folks. I'd like to thank Brad Gates of Gates AAA Wildlife Control for sharing his time with us and for his ongoing support of this program. Please remember to stay warm and dry out there and keep an eye out for animals in need. Until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.